Welcome to the Stream Roots Podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but is helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil. So glad to have you join us for this episode of Reaching the LGBT Community Without Compromising the Truth. Today we have a special guest for this episode, Alan Schliemann from Stand to Reason Ministry. Alan has worked as an author and speaker for Stand to Reason since 2004. He trains Christians to share their convictions in a persuasive yet gracious manner. Alan teaches about some of the most controversial issues of our time, from abortion to evolution to homosexuality, bioethics, and Islam. He's been a guest on both radio and television and has spoken to thousands of adults and students across the country at churches, conferences, and college campuses. Alan, thanks for being on the show. Can you share a little bit about your life and family ministry with us? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, did you? Did you uh, I'm sorry, just to make sure you said uh, to share about my family. Is that right? Yeah, about your family, your ministry, and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been like you mentioned. I've been working with Stand to Reason for almost about 20 years now. Before that, my wife and I were physical therapists, uh, and I met my wife at a, at a university, California State University in Long Beach. And uh, we got married, started working as physical therapists. We have now two kids. Um, one's an 18-year-old boy and a 16-year-old girl. And we live in uh, the San Diego region. And uh, so we're enjoying really, really warm, beautiful weather right now. Sunny blue sky. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I've worked with Standard Reason now for 20 years. And I just absolutely enjoy it. It's like my dream job. Mm, love it. I am a little jealous. So we're out in the Detroit area and it's not sunny and it's about 27 <laughs> degrees. So, but take it in, take in the vitamin D. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with that because, you know, I, I get to travel and speak in different places. And so I, I do see the weather all over and uh, I, I got, I got to admit the one, I mean, there are, there's certainly downsides to living in California, but one of the upsides of San Diego is when you fly back home, you're like, greeted with this amazing weather. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's jump into our discussion. I want to read for us from sure. the book of Matthew, Matthew 11. And this is what God's word says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites everyone to come to him, particularly those who labor and are heavy laden and burdened. He promises to give us rest when we take his yoke upon us. This is an amazing promise and declaration. Sometimes, as, especially as leaders in the church, we can lose sight of the wonderful invitation and grace that Jesus offers. This is especially true when it comes to those in the LGBT community and those struggling with same-sex attraction. We can easily take an adversarial tone when sharing the gospel with those living in a homosexual lifestyle. We far too often speak the truth without love. Let me be clear, we cannot and will not compromise the truth of what God's word teaches about sexuality. Anything outside of the cover of the marriage is clearly sin, which includes acting on homosexuality. But we can't focus on just what we're against. Instead, we need to focus on what we're for. We're for people meeting Jesus. We're for people seeing, for people's souls being saved and lives being transformed. We're for people meeting and experiencing the easy yoke and the rest that only Jesus can give. Mm. 
So how do we reach out to the LGBT community without compromising the truth? This is why we invited Alan to the show. So Alan, what is your experience in sharing the gospel with those with same-sex attraction and those in the LGBT community? Well, uh, my experience has been mostly in the fact that uh, I get to uh, travel around the country and, and sometimes other countries as well and teach about homosexuality, transgenderism, and what the Bible says about these topics. Mostly, I'm training believers to understand these issues and learn how to communicate the gospel and share their convictions. But oftentimes, there's a lot of people who attend my uh, lectures and presentations that <clears throat> that identify as gay or trans or non-binary. And so, uh, a lot of times, I'm uh, interacting with them either in Q&A, during the presentation, or afterwards, you know, we have long uh, discussions. Uh, so, what's interesting about that is, as I said, my mission is mostly to train and equip believers. But as a result of that, I end up having a lot of conversations with, with non-believers who might attend or may have been invited. And what I've discovered is that when I'm talking to a, a person who identifies as gay, or maybe this says they're a gay Christian, or, or I'm just not sure exactly where they are, um, I, I often think to myself, okay, I need to know, are, is this person a professing Christian? Mm. Now, if the person I'm talking to is not a professing Christian, then usually I'm just going to try to present the gospel to them in as straightforward and clear manner as I would anybody else. In other words, the fact that they might identify as gay or trans or whatever it might be doesn't really alter necessarily what I'm saying to them <clears throat> because I'm just trying to present the gospel because ultimately that's what ultimately matters. In other words, when I'm talking to, if I discover the person I'm talking to is not professing to be a believer, I'm not trying to get them to buy into my convictions about sexuality or same-sex marriage or whatever. I'm not trying to change your thinking about homosexuality per se. I just want to tell them about Jesus and invite them to consider uh, the, the offer of forgiveness that he's offering to them and to everybody. So, that's if I've discovered they aren't a professing Christian. Now, sometimes I discover they are professing to be a believer, in which case now I am going to point them to, um, you know, what the scriptures say about sexuality. Uh, because now, once they claim to be a believer, they fall under the jurisdiction of scripture. Yeah. And so, in my mind, I kind of have that sort of thinking, like, all right, who am I talking to here? Are they a professing believer? If no, I'm presenting the gospel. And if they are a professing believer, but maybe still engaging in homosexual sex acts or maybe affirming homosexuality in some way, well, then I'm going to then cite scripture to weigh in on that topic. And so that's kind of uh, how I sort of divide up in which direction I'm going to go with the person. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Perfect sense. You know, I, I've heard it said before, you can't clean a fish until you catch it. And uh, <laughs> we're not. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're not here just to give you our ethics. We're here to give you good news. We have good news to give to you. Jesus right. is Lord. Jesus is Savior. And uh, there's good news. And and that's, where Jesus, that's what I love about Jesus' invitation. He doesn't say, you know, come to me, all those who have some of their life figured out. And then he says, come to me, all those who are burdened and, and heavy laden. Uh, come to me. You know, all. It's an invitation for us all. So right on. Yeah, and Mark, I'll, I'll add, too, that every time I've seen a person who's living a life satisfying same-sex attraction or transgender ideation, every, every time I've seen a person who's living like that, 
uh, abandoned that life, it was because they first accepted Christ. They, they trusted in the gospel, trusted in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit comes into their life and transforms them from the inside out. And we see them, them being convicted of uh, their behavior and the decisions they're making in their life. So to me, that's always the gospel comes first, even though technically I, you know, my, I'm an apologist, right? That's kind of my, my position. But when I first meet a person, I'm not trying to present an apologetic argument. I'm trying to present the gospel. Now, if they reject the gospel, then I'm going to use my apologetics arguments to try to answer their objections. But my main um, heart and desire is to present the gospel to people if they don't know Jesus. And then whatever particular sins they're wrestling with might come out in a discussion later on. But I'm not initially trying to just talk about, you know, sexuality or abortion or evolution or some kind of other tangential issue. I'm, I'm going with the gospel first. Yeah. Amen to that. So, so how do we share the gospel without compromising the truth? Uh, you know, how do we do that? Seems like so many people want to reach out today, which is good. Praise God for that. But some do that by compromising the truth of what God's word teaches. Uh, and this is especially true when it comes to sexuality, because they don't want to offend. They don't. They, they, they want to affirm, and they want to you know make mm. kind of soften some of uh, some of these aspects with, with, of, of what God's word teaches. Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and it's really tough for people because I think we're um, a lot of a lot of believers who have friends or family that identify as gay or trans or non-binary. A lot of these believers think that they face a dilemma. So, if their friend or family member who's LGBT comes out and says, "Hey, I'm trans" or something like that, a lot of believers think they face a dilemma. Either fidelity to their friend or family member who's LGBT or fidelity to the Bible and what the scriptures teach. And they think they have to decide between one or the other. And I think um, a lot of uh, false teachers have sort of said, this is the, these are the two options, you know, you either accept your friend or you accept the, you know, accept, you know, historical biblical teaching on sexuality. And so what that's done is, is caused a lot of people to say, man, when it comes to my relationships or to these biblical convictions, I'm going to go with the relationship because relationships are what matter. And so they sort of think, well, then what am I going to do about what the Bible says about sexuality? And of course, there's lots of people out there saying, well, there's ways of looking at the Bible in a different way. There's, a, mm. there's another way to reinterpret what the scriptures say about homosexuality or sexuality in general. And so they they gravitate towards adopting this sort of pro-gay theology. And um, I think so, I think to answer your question, one of the one of the ways that we can reach out but without compromise is to not believe this false dichotomy. That you either accept your friend or family member who's LGBT and everything that they do and say and all their behaviors, or you accept what the Bible says. I actually think you can do both in the sense of you can still love your friend or family member or son or daughter, whoever it is that identifies as LGBT, but not compromise your biblical convictions, okay? You could still hold on to your biblical convictions and be like, yeah, you know, the Bible does teach that, yeah, homosexual sex is sin, satisfying transgender ideation is wrong and all these things. Now, how do you, now that's going to be a lot more difficult. It's going to be a lot more messy, 
you know, and, and I can say from personal experience, having friends and family who identify as LGBT, yeah, it, it hasn't been easy to be like, hey, you know, I care about you. You're important to me. You're a friend or a family member, and I know you're LGBT, but I love you and I care about you, but I'm still going to uphold my biblical convictions. And again, that's, it can get difficult and messy, especially if they're closely related to you, if they're in your home, if you have a son or a daughter, you know, that's going to be messy. But um, I think that's what we're called to do. I think that's the biblical position. So we need to first reject this false dichotomy of either fidelity to your friend who's, G, who's LGBT or fidelity to the Bible. Mm. You got to reject that false dichotomy. And um, that's the first step. And then realize there's a third way. And that third way is to love your friend or family member, but still uphold biblical sexual ethics. Yeah, I love that. That's a great great way to say that. Uh, it reminds me, years ago, we had a friend from college, uh, a, a young woman, um, struggled a little bit with same sex attraction, but you know, just confused and just got caught up in the wrong crowd. And she ended up saying, "I'm, I'm going to marry this woman." And um, her name was Emily. And like, hey, we we love you, Emily. You're like you're our friend, and nothing's going to change that. We care about you. We want the best for you. Um, you know, and she wanted to go to their wedding, and and he said, "Hey, we we can't we, we can't go to your wedding because you just don't affirm the decision you're making, especially as you claim to be a follower of Jesus." And but we want you to know, hey, we love you though, and and we care about you, and we pray for you, and we want to see the best for you. And so she got in this relationship, and and after a year or so, it became really toxic, and and stayed in it. it was actually, really abusive. And you know, a couple of years later, um, you know, she she's like, well, you don't really care for me because you didn't do it. But she she called us up, and she said, you were the only people who really stood by your convictions, but also who actually I felt like loved me. And she's like, I just really need help. Mm-hmm. I need someone to support support me right now. Wow. And so like, you're you're the people I just thought of. And so you know, we helped walk her through all of the things that happened, and all it's just it was a whole whole mess a whole, there's a whole podcast you could do on it uh, but today wow. you know that's almost, really neat yeah yeah praise god but you know almost a decade afterwards and she had some other stumblings and some areas there but now she's walking with the lord she uh, is walking in faithfulness to him and experiencing his freedom and she's mm-hmm. like man I, I can't believe i forfeited all this peace and all of this joy from all of these past things and she's like you know i really experienced the forgiveness of christ and so um just a great story of redemption in in that aspect um of not not losing our convictions, but also not forgetting Jesus's good words. Like, Hey, come to me. I'm here. You know, I'll, I'll ease your burdens and, um, you know, grace and truth. We want that, that fullness of grace and truth. So, so I, lo- I love that third way you, yeah. you, you presented. So, all right. So, so what does this look like in the local church, Alan? And what does this look like in the local church for us to do this, to, to, to be welcoming and hospitable, um, but yet also be able to stand on truth? What would you advise? Because this podcast, a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders listen to it. So what would you advise for our local churches, and our local ministries? Well, uh, I mean, ultimately what I'd love to see happen in churches is that we create a culture where people who might be wrestling believers who might be wrestling with same-sex attraction or transgender ideation or, you know, having questions about their gender identity can feel the freedom to go to a pastor or a youth leader or an elder or some other leader at the church and say, Hey, I'm struggling with something. And it's, I, 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 you know, last night I had a homoerotic dream or, you know, I, I, maybe I feel like I'm attracted to members of the same sex or, Whatever it is, they can feel the freedom to come and share that, and then they would not have the response of, "Oh my gosh, you know, here's a Bible verse, you know, we're gonna we're gonna blast you with this Bible verse, you know, and or pressure you out of the church." <laughs> 
But rather, the pastor or the leader, whoever hears this from a congregant, would be like, man, brother or sister, thank you for sharing this with me. Um, thank you for being vulnerable. Um, man, you know, tell me what's going on. Share with me your story. Tell me how, you know, tell me the whole thing of how this has all happened. And how can I now uh, pray for you? How can I either I walk with you during this process or, or find someone in the church who can? And so, in other words, we would make churches a place that people who are wrestling with these temptations can feel the freedom to come to them, just like any other believer would come to a leader or a, a pastor or an elder and say, I'm struggling with, with porn or, or covetousness or pride or whatever it might be. And we would respond to that in exactly the same way, you know. Uh, and I think, well, let me say this. I know there are lots of people uh, who have reached out to me and said, Alan, you know, I go to this church. I've, I have same-sex attraction or I'm questioning my gender identity, but I don't have the freedom to share with somebody and, and have them hold me accountable or to walk with me. And I think that's that's a that's the tragedy that I want to see changed in churches. And so um, that's the, that's the ultimate goal is to have churches to be a, and I hate to use the word safe place, but I think you know what I mean, given what I explained. Um, And so um, that, that would be for people who are already believers in the church, because there's many of them who are wrestling with their sexuality or their gender identity. Uh, But for, for non-believers, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the things we need to do is we need to welcome uh, people who identify as LGBT when they come to our church. We need to welcome them, welcome them to our church. And and what I mean by welcome is not just let them in the door, but make them feel welcome. Like, thank them for coming, show them the best seat in the house, you know, introduce them to the pastor, invite them to your next, you know, barbecue or whatever. Because don't we want them to hear the gospel being preached from the pulpit? Yeah. Like, don't we want them to see what genuine Christian fellowship and love look like? Don't we want them to hear the truth that's uh, being, you know, upheld in the church? Well, LGBT individuals who come and visit our church are never going to be able to experience or hear any of that if they're not made to feel welcome when they come. Now, having said that, I'm not suggesting we, you know, uh, give them any position of leadership or any authority in the church or, you know, change our services to accommodate them, right? So obviously, church leadership will be off limits to these individuals who are guests, but that would be uh, a rule that we'd apply to anybody, right? Any, yeah. any non-believer coming to a church isn't going to have that kind of position. So those are, those are two things, like kind of different sides of the same coin. Um, a third thing I would say is we need to really um, eliminate all joking uh, that we do of homosexuals or LGBT people. And it, it is surprising to me how often still we hear, I hear, and, and hear from other leaders in churches that a lot of believers, when they kind of feel like they're in their sort of holy huddles with other believers, they feel the freedom to make jokes about gay people or LGBT people. And uh, I think this is well, not just sin, but it's unhealthy towards uh, fostering a, a, a good community in our churches. Um, and I know this affects believers who are wrestling with maybe some sort of LGBT temptation, but now don't feel the freedom 
to turn to a small group leader or to a pastor and elder because they think, man, in this church, we, we mock the very thing that I'm struggling with, yeah. you know? And I think, again, I know there's a lot of believers who wrestle with these sexuality topics. And when they hear that, those kinds of jokes being made, they think to themselves, I will never share my struggle with these people. Mm. And these uh, believers who are wrestling with these things, they need our prayer, they need our support, they need our love, they need our accountability. Yeah. But when we mock their sin, we're basically telling them to, to just shut up and not share what they're struggling with because we feel uncomfortable with that. And that just doesn't seem like an option for any kind of a healthy church. So I'd say we got we to gotta cut the, the joking that we see. And, and, and um, you know, whenever we see it being done, we have to call it out. Um, so anyways, those are just some practical things that um, kind, of, kind of come to mind when you ask that question about what we can do in churches. Yeah. But ultimately, it's, it's for the purpose of creating that kind of uh, culture where people can feel the freedom to, to walk, to, to share these struggles and be able to have something to walk with them as they struggle, as they kind of move towards sanctification in those areas. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with the author Rosario Butterfield? Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah she, we read a great book by her for our staff called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it just shared her story because mm-hmm. she was like a yeah. lesbian professor and um, she went to a, a, Christ, a pastor's home just like, just to do something. And it was just, she, she was just shocked by the, the hospitality and just being welcomed in and right. sharing meals. And, and so she would go over there all the time. And, 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 you know, that's how she came to faith in Christ. And it, and that was part of how God saved her and transformed her. And, uh, it's just like, that's amazing testimony. You know, where everybody's looking, I don't care who you are, what your identity is, whether, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, we're all looking for somewhere to be loved and, and welcomed and just maybe because we're made in God's image and likeness. And, um, and, and so she just had that and that experience. And so she's just a huge advocate for hospitality of welcoming people in your home. And, and, and it doesn't matter what your past is, but you're, we, you're loved here. And so I think that's a huge aspect that we really forget today in our local churches. Um, and as followers of Jesus and making right. disciples, you know, we want to live these fragmented lives. We want to do stuff on the ministry over there, but we don't want to bring it into our home. But yeah, all throughout the New Testament, you know, that's where the churches met was home churches. And, and God commands us to be hospitable and to welcome people and to love people well. So I think, I just think that's a huge area of evangelism and discipleship that we just often neglect. I don't know your thoughts on that. What, what would you think, Alan? Yeah. And that um, you, you cut out at the very end, but it reminds me, Mark, of what I was saying earlier, and that is whenever I've seen a person who's satisfying uh, same-sex attraction um, do a 180, it's because they first accept the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit convicts them. And that's kind of what happened with Rosaria, right? She mm-hmm. she met this uh, pastor, she eventually put her trust in Jesus, and then was like, wait a minute, but I'm living with this woman. You know, I this this is sin. I can't do this, right? Yeah. And so then she was convicted by that, and eventually her you know sanctification began to kind of uh, develop in her life. So yeah, I I think it's a wonderful story and a great testament to the power of the gospel. Nice. So so uh, last question here: uh, What pitfalls do we need to be aware of when we're reaching out to uh, LGBT community or whatever community that may be? Uh, it seems again I, I mentioned this earlier, but some people want to reach out, but they do that by compromising the truth. You see this, even you know, there's a large church recently uh, that hosted a um, 
a conference on uh, same-sex attraction and stuff, and they just brought in a lot of speakers who affirm it, and it was just really shocking to me to see an influential church uh, take kind of this position, this compromised position. So what, what would you counsel? What would you say to that? How, how can we, what pitfalls do we need, we need to be aware of, Alan? Yeah, Mark, sorry, you, uh, I didn't hear the last uh, 15 seconds. I heard you said, uh, you heard a church had a conference and, um, what, are you talking about, uh, Andy Stanley's church? Yeah, 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 yep. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I actually attended the conference. I don't know if you uh, were aware that no. I attended the conference because I wanted to see, uh, what was being taught there. So I was, uh, I was there in the audience. How, how was that? Um, so, yes. <laughs> well, it was very interesting. I mean, I, I've done this before where I attend conferences that I don't necessarily think I'm going to agree with, and this was certainly one of them. But, um, yeah, one of, the, one of the pitfalls that I was mentioning to you earlier, Mark, is precisely one of the pitfalls or one of the mistakes that I was, saw that this conference was advocating. And that was they were saying that there's these two scripts, right? And the, they, they call it the traditional script, which Andy Stanley and David Gushy and a number of other people at that conference talked about. The traditional script, they say, is you know what we Christians have been doing you know for decades in the past, which is we have a, a very limited vocabulary, only a four-word vocabulary, and that vocabulary is homosexuality is a sin. And all we do is blast people with Bible verses. We hate our LGBT friends and family, or you know, uh, we basically, by virtue of our insensitivity or our crassness, we end up kicking these LGBT people out of our homes or out of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so they call that the traditional script. And they say, no, 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 you need to adopt a new script. And the new script has a much broader vocabulary. We don't just clobber people with Bible verses. We love them. We show them, you know, Jesus, and we, you know, we walk with them. And again, that's the false dichotomy I was talking about earlier, which is uh, no, there's a there's a third script, you know, or a third way, and that third way is to love them and uphold biblical sexual ethics. But anyways, to get, so yeah, I was I was definitely at that conference, and that was one of the main problems with the conference is they they didn't say the truth about all the options that are available to us believers. Um, but one of the uh, one of the other pitfalls is uh, that we that some Christians are tempted to buy into pro-gay theology, and this is what um, well people like Matthew Vines at the Reformation Project or uh, Justin Lee who started the Gay Christian Network or Mel White who started Soul Force. This is what those organizations are trying to do, and it's to get Christians to reinterpret the biblical passages that address homosexual sex and to make those interpretations become now gay affirming. And uh, we need to inoculate believers to those false teachings so that they are aware of them and, and recognize them when they're being advanced in their churches. Cause this is one of the most dangerous pitfalls we see mm-hmm. because the, the believer says, Oh man, my son is gay or my daughter is gay or my friend is gay man, what do I do? I don't want to tell them that they're in sin. Oh, well, here's this pro-gay theology that will tell me it's not sin. And so they are they are uh, adopting that theology, which is a false theology, of course. Um, and so we need to equip believers to recognize it and become inoculated to it so they can see it when it's promoted in their churches. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, equipping them with that. There is a lot of false teaching out there. Um, if it's something's new, you know it's not true, right? <laughs> so that's a statement I like. Um, great. Um, Alan, anything else you'd like to add before we sign off here? Oh, um, no. I mean, other than I, I think it's great that you two are, are raising this topic because it is such a prevalent topic. I mean, of all the topics that I address in any given year, the topic of sexuality and how we need to uh, respond to the culture's push uh, for for Christians to adopt homosexuality is so huge. And I see so many young believers being tempted to sort of buy into that false dichotomy and then just kind of go with a compromised view of Scripture. So for you to bring awareness to this, I think is so important. And I think the gospel has the answer, and that is that, you know, um, <clears throat> we don't have to give in to our uh, sinful desires, nor do we need to change what the Bible says. We can just go with what you know, Jesus taught, Matthew uh, 19, 4 through 6. He told us about what sex and marriage is about. It's about one man, one woman, one flesh for one lifetime. You know, that was Jesus' teaching. And so I think it's always great for us to emphasize what Jesus taught, because I know a lot of people um, are tempted to sort of downplay maybe what Genesis says or what the Apostle Paul says. And not that I agree with that sentiment, but for those people who are like, oh, but we want to just follow Jesus. Okay, let's talk about what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He, gave, he, he quotes the Genesis account of creation because he believes it's still valid and authoritative and uh, it's still binding. And so I say, man, let's uh, in fact, there's a tactic I call letting Jesus take the heat, where I always point people to Jesus. Um, and, and, and when it comes to his views on sex and marriage, in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, he, he says it pretty clearly. So um, that's great for oh, us, I, I think. It. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks you for your time and your insight and your ministry. Keep the good work. Keep preaching the gospel. I just want to sign off here. Uh, Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at Barnabas Ministries, M-I dot org barnabas ministries mi dot org re-release an episode every monday morning stream roots drawing deep from the living water of god's word <laughs>